Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Coors Field in Colorado. It's the Cleveland Guardians 4, the Colorado Rockies 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And I gotta say, it's a win. It's a 4-3 win in extra innings in the 10th inning, but it was a sloppy win. I mean, it really was a sloppy win. The Rockies are throwing the ball all around the field. The Guardians are even making errors in the 10th inning. The Rockies are running themselves out of an inning. I mean, this thing was really, really some slop here. But you know what? Some days, some days you just got to win an ugly game. And that's what the Guardians did on this day. At the end of the day, we're going to look back at it and it's just going to be a W. Now, I will let you know that uh, it's actually just like 20 minutes after the game ended. It's uh, midnight here in Cleveland. Frankly, the baby is asleep right now, and I don't know if the baby's going to be asleep in the morning. So I decided to jump on the mic really quick. Let's do this. Let's talk about this thing, and let's do it a little bit different. This is now Cleveland Baseball Nightly. Yeah, the vibe's going to be a little bit different at night, a little bit different at the end of a long, long day. Got done working a 13-hour day, got in the car just as the broadcast was kicking off there. So got to listen to a little bit of the radio broadcast, got to listen to a little bit of the TV broadcast, got to watch a little bit of it on my phone as I was feeding the baby a bottle at 11.30 at night. And uh, I guess the one takeaway from both broadcasts is that uh, Coors Field is giant. It's huge. Uh, apparently, according to Al Pulowski, it's like the first time we've won there in 20 years. I think he tweeted that out. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cleveland hasn't won in Denver in 20 years until tonight. Uh, man, we just... It's going to be weird next year when we play every team. Because some of these ballparks, some of these stadiums... It's been a long time since we've seen them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, do you even recognize most of the names on the Rockies team? Frankly, if the Rockies hadn't have signed Chris Bryant, right, former Cub, former Giant, Chris Bryant, if they hadn't assigned him and then MLB Network Radio talked about the Rockies and how Bryant fits in and what position is he going to play, I wouldn't recognize most of the names on this roster except for maybe Blackman and Crone. Uh, Jose Iglesias has been around for a long time. Grichik did play in the American League last year. But yeah, a lot of these names uh, and the way this team functions, I learned about once they signed Chris Bryant. And then they're saying, you know, does Bryant play third? Does he play left field? How does he fit into this team? Uh, So yeah, so that was kind of my, uh, really my only time paying attention to the Rockies so far this season. And, uh, yeah, they, they're an offense that hits. Of course they are. It's Coors Field. Everybody's going to hit in Coors Field. You know, the giant outfield leaves a lot of uh, room for base hits. Uh, the ball carries out there. So, uh, yeah, we knew we'd be in a little bit of an offensive game. Frankly, it's probably a low-scoring game at 4-3 to three for Coors Field. But, uh, all right, let's get into it. Let's get into the sloppiness and... Uh, yeah, I mean, we got to go right to the end of the game. We have to go right to the end of the game. 
uh, extra innings. Guardians get the first crack at it, and uh, we get lucky starting with Ahmed Rosario on second base. Uh, he made the final out in the ninth. And so Jose Ramirez comes up and doesn't waste any time, doesn't waste a second. He jumps all over the first pitch and uh, shoots one past the first baseman. Uh, a really hard hit ball, 104.2. I I mean, it like grazes Crone's cheek or something like that. He kind of touches his face to see if he's bleeding uh, after this ball shoots past him. So uh, first, I mean, this is not uh, the first time in the game. Uh, the first time we've seen Jose Ramirez get up there and be fastball hunting. Uh, this is something he does sometimes. Sometimes Jose Ramirez is looking for a fastball. Uh, now he has a really good at bat early in the game that leads to some RBIs. But uh, in this appearance, he is definitely hunting fastball, gets it right away and uh, pulls it hard down the right field line. Uh, so it brings in that run to score, that go-ahead run to score. But then he gets a little bit greedy after Gonzalez strikes out in a really bad at-bat. It was a bad at-bat. Gonzalez, Gonzalez is going to ha- He's having a problem with chasing uh, pitches out of the zone. He's chasing away. You know, not shocked to see a right-handed power hitter chasing away. I think when he first came up, they threw him away a lot, and uh, he was fouling things off, so then they tried coming inside. Now they're back to throwing outside on him with that breaking stuff, and like many right-handers, he's chasing. Those sliders away, he's chasing. So after a really bad at-bat, Ramirez tries to get himself up to third, which is the goal of starting with that runner on second base, right, and nobody out. Get that guy to third base. Oscar Gonzalez can't do it. Jose Ramirez thinks maybe I can take... Uh, matters into my own hands. Frankly, he just doesn't get a really good jump. He doesn't have a great lead off of second base. He doesn't get a great jump, and he's kind of gunned out at third base. He was pretty upset with himself. You could say she took a shot of him in the dugout, and he was pretty upset with himself. So it's a sloppy way of kind of ending the rally uh, in the 10th inning. Now there's two outs. Clement would draw a walk, but Owen Miller would ground out to third base to end the threat in the 10th. So now Classe has got to come up. He's protecting a one-run lead in the 10th inning um, with that runner on second. So it's a tough thing to do to protect a one-run lead when you're starting with a runner on second base. It doesn't help when uh, Daza, the second batter for the uh, Rockies, uh, the two-hitter in their lineup, sorry, I should say, Blackman starts, their leadoff hitter starts on first base, on second base, and Daza hits one. At second base when Andres Jimenez, it takes a weird one-hop right in front of him. Uh, Blackman has to hold the bag because the line drive could easily be caught, but instead uh, we get a rare error from Andres Jimenez. They talked about it on the TV broadcast, how hard the infield was, uh, how hard the infield is in Colorado, so it gets some weird bounces. I mean, we just saw at the inning before where Jose Ramirez's ball shot up and almost took off C.J. Crone's head. So we get one here that kind of is an awkward one hop for Andres Jimenez, and he lets it eat him up, and it lets him get he lets it get past him. So Blackman moves up to third. It's an error on Andres Jimenez, and then the sloppiness would continue. Brendan Rodgers uh, chops one right back, right back to Emmanuel Classe. 
he throws him a cutter uh, down that he misses with ball one and then jams him inside with a 100.7 mile per hour cutter. He chops it right back to him. Classe fields it and flips it out of his glove to Hedges. Blackman, for some reason, goes off. He was going on contact. I, you got to, there were runners on first and third. You're set up in a good situation. If you hold third base, his best play is probably to go to first with it and then maybe gets the force out of first, but now you've got the winning run in scoring position. Blackman does a bad job base running. He goes on this, uh, would have got himself into a pickle in that moment, but Hedges, like a wide receiver who turns his head and tries to run upfield before he has the ball, drops it. He, he doesn't take the feed from Classe cleanly. He's kicking it around in the grass, can't find the ball, so then Blackman, instead of getting a free retreat back to third base, which would have been the bases loaded, nobody out in the bottom of the 10th inning, and they would have really been set up to win that game. Instead, Blackman decides that he can beat Hedges home. He could beat Hedges finding the ball home, which does not work out in his favor. Hedges gets the ball, flips it to Classe at home. Classe runs him back, flips it to Ramirez, and they tag Blackman out. So the sloppiness just continues. And then that's two ground balls already from Classe. Why not a third? CJ Crone grounds into a double play. Jimenez gets his revenge. He gets it cleanly, flips it to Rosario, who fires it back to Clement at first. And they get the double play to win the game. So sloppiness, that has to be the big storyline of the game, is sloppiness. I mean, the Guardians scored their third run uh, earlier in this game on more sloppiness. Uh, It was in the, I believe, the sixth inning when they're able to put across a run. It's Jose Ramirez was doing a lot. Jose Ramirez was the offense on the day. Uh, We should just say that this is going to transition us into our second storyline, which is Jose Ramirez was the offense. After a walked kick off the inning against uh, Santella, he uh, he steals second, and the throw goes in. It was a decent pitch to throw on. It, you know, uh, their catcher was able to kind of pop up and get a good throw off Servin. Uh, unfortunately, he you know, fortunately for us, he spikes the throw and it goes out into center field. So Jose Ramirez is able to scramble all the way to third. So yeah, some more sloppiness there leads to Ramirez on third base with nobody out, right? Sloppy to lead the walk-off hitter, lead-off hitter. Sloppy to let this ball go into center field. Ramirez ends up on third. Gonzalez after striking out. So that's, yeah, that's twice now with uh, Jose Ramirez in scoring position. Gonzalez would strike out in this game. Naylor is finally able to deliver. He pulls one. Uh, Looked like it might be a jam job, but he shoots it through the right side. And Jose Ramirez walks in to score. So, yeah, they uh, they were able to get it done. Um, they were able to score there. There was more sloppiness in this game, too. Uh, in the ninth inning, the Guardians were set up for something pretty good. Jimenez is able to get a line drive into center field. Deflects off the shortstop's glove. Quan with an infield single. He dives into first base. A great hustle play by Quan. But then Hedges can't get the bunt down sloppiness from Hedges here. He's got two attempts at it. He fouls them both off. The second one, he pops up in the air, and Servin catches it. So sloppiness there in the ninth inning. They couldn't get the job done. They had a chance to finish this thing off in the ninth. Uh, Straw would be called out on strikes. 
And then Ahmed Rosario will ground out on the first pitch. So, yeah, a bad ninth inning there from the Guardians. So it was an ugly game all around. But really, Jose Ramirez, I mean, we all know, uh, you know, he's the straw that stirs the Guardians' drink on offense and delivers on the day two hits and four at-bats, plus the walks where he's on base three times, three RBIs on the day for him, plus the run scored, which means all four Guardians' runs get credited back to Jose Ramirez on the day. He has a big two-run double in the third inning. There were runners on uh, second and third. I believe there were two outs in this inning, and they're clearly trying to pitch around Jose Ramirez. I mean, they're just staying outside. Over and over again, they're outside on him, and uh, he's staying in the bat, hanging in there, and eventually gets the pitch he wants, gets one, gets one that he can handle, and uh, shoots it into left field for a two-RBI hit. Uh, the first pitch is a four-seam fastball. That's a good foot, foot and a half off the plate. The next one is a four-seam fastball that actually comes back over the plate, and he fouls it off. That was his pitch to hit. Uh, then there's one down below his knees that he lays off for ball two, and then they try to go away again, but this one is up. And when it's up, Jose Ramirez can get the bat head out there, and it's about the approach. He knew where they were pitching him. There was no joke, you know, no mistaking it. The catcher was jumping into the other batter's box to set up outside. They should have just walked him. But instead, they gave him the opportunity to swing the bat a couple times, and he was able to know exactly where he wanted to go with it. Even the ball he fouled off, it was clear that he was going to go to the left side. So he takes that outside fastball. It's up. He's able to take a nice level swing, and he shoots it out in the left field and scores two runs early in this game. Uh, So, yeah, so the Guardians score their two runs there in the third inning. You see how he was involved in the sixth inning there, and then in the tenth inning, he gets the big hit. turns out to be the winning hit. We didn't think it was going to be the winning hit after everything else that happened in that tenth inning. Uh, Surprisingly, it holds up and holds up as the winning hit. So the entire offense goes through Jose Ramirez on this day. All right, those were my big storylines as far as the sloppiness goes, as far as the Guardians offense goes. I guess you could say that's a sloppy job by uh, Sanzatella, right, of uh, not being able to pitch around Jose Ramirez in that third inning. It's a sloppy job by him leaving a few fastballs where Ramirez could get up, you know, the bat and the bat head on it really and drive it out in the left field. I wouldn't say he barreled it, but he did drive it. He did give it a nice poke out there in the left field. Uh, the exit velocity was 97.3. So yeah, hard hit ball on a pitch. That's a foot off the plate. He's driving it at 97.3 because he knew where he needed to go with it. He knew going the opposite way was the only way he was driving in those runs. So once again, you're a Ameri- I, I mean, how how much can we continue to praise this guy, the MLB leader in RBIs? I've been hearing a lot of discussion lately. I was listening to the MLB Tonight podcast uh, a little bit today while I was working from ESPN, and they did bring up Jose Ramirez versus Aaron Judge for MVP. And they were talking about Judge on MLB Network Radio this morning, and uh, everyone thinks because of the home runs and how good the Yankees are playing, the Judge is kind of running away with the MVP, 
But they did, on the ESPN Baseball Tonight podcast, they did give credit to how great of a season Jose Ramirez is having. Like, if Judge and the Yankees weren't head and shoulders above the American League right now, Jose Ramirez definitely would be neck and neck for MVP. Right now, he's in the discussion. He is definitely on the top three in your ballot for MVP uh, at this point. But there's a lot of season to go. You know, who knows if the RBI pace that Ramirez is on is going to sustain itself or if the home run pace that Aaron Judge is on is going to sustain itself. So there's a lot more baseball to be played before we start crowning MVPs. But yeah, I mean, Ramirez's season just continues. It's incredible what this guy is doing with runners on base. All right, the other storyline in this game, we had our ace on the mound, Shane Bieber. You know, he's pitching in Colorado, and, you know, there's not much humidity and the air up there. Would his breaking stuff, which he's been relying on lately, be that effective? Well, it turns out, it turns out what was effective for him was that four-seam fastball because he's locating it now. He knows he can't blow it by guys. He averaged 90.8 miles per hour on it, which is a tenth of a mile per hour faster than his yearly average. Uh, so only 90.8. He did max it out at 92. He got it up to 92 at times. But he knows he can't blow it by anybody. So he's got to locate it. And that's exactly what he does on the day. There's three sw- three whiffs on his four-seam fastball on 18 swings. So it's a 17% whiff rate. Add in 19 called strikes on his four-seam fastball. What was happening? 19 called strikes. It's good for a 46% CSW on that pitch. Uh, It's a 36% CSW total on the day. 24% whiff rate is all right. We know Bieber can be better than that, but it's all right. Uh, he still ends up with seven strikeouts on the day. He still goes six and two-thirds innings. Does give up nine hits. Does give up 11 hard-hit balls on 105 pitches. But it's only three runs and one walk. So it goes down as a quality start for Shane Bieber. Um, I remember a quality start is six innings or more, three runs or less. So it qualifies as a quality start. Which is, you know, doesn't really mean anything, but it is an interesting thing to keep track of. It's it's a nice line in the sand that they've someone has drawn, right? To say if you go six innings, gives up three runs or less, we consider that a quality start. It's a nice line in the sand to draw to say, hey, was it just quickly, was it an effective day? Uh Sanzatella on the other side also goes six innings, gives up eight hits, three runs, one walk, only four strikeouts for him. He's hard hit a little bit less, only six times. But a lot less strikeouts, only four strikeouts. So what was happening with these 19 called strikes? Where was Shane Bieber locating all of these fastballs that went as called strikes? Well, uh, there's a big grouping of them uh, on the glove side of the plate for the right-handed pitcher. So, you know, the outside edge of the plate for the right-handed pitcher. There's a huge grouping of them there. He even got a few calls off the plate, I will tell you. Uh, He got a few friendly calls there. But, uh, yeah, he was really pounding down and away that corner. He also got a couple on the inside edge. He got about four on the inside edge, including one that was, ooh, a good baseball or two off to Servin on an 0-1 count. But then there's a group of six of them that are right down the middle of the plate. 
Uh, he starts Blackman off on the third inning right down the middle. On an 0-1 count to Crone in the first inning. Uh, Daza in the first inning on a 2-0 count takes a called strike down the middle. These guys were letting... Uh, he strikes out Hilliard looking down the middle on a called strike three. These pitches are up uh, just above the belt, between the belt and the letters, but kind of right down the middle of the plate. And I'm I'm just shocked that they let so many of Brendan Rodgers lets one go to start his at-bat in the third inning. I'm just surprised they let so many of these go down the middle of the plate uh, throughout this game. So... Maybe a little sloppiness by the Rockies hitters here. Not picking up this fastball, not being ready for that 90-mile-per-hour fastball uh, right down the pipe. Uh, eh, I'll give Bieber credit. Most of these were 91. So, yeah, so that's where he was locating all those called strikes with the four-seam fastball, and it ends up working out for him. He gets a few of his strikeouts on uh, on the four-seam fastball. Most of the strikeouts came on the off-speed stuff. So he gets three strikeouts on the uh, four-seam fastball. Two of them are called strikes. One of them is a swinging strike to Crone in the sixth inning. Uh, But then he gets Blackman with the knuckle curve. He gets Hilliard with the knuckle curve. He gets McMahon uh, with the knuckle curve in the dirt. And he gets Brendan Rodgers chasing a slider, uh, that good slider down and away for Bieber. Uh, He gets him in the fifth inning on an 0-2 count to swing after that one. So uh, that's what Bieber is doing. I'm not surprised to see those knuckle curves down at the bottom of the zone. We've known for a few years now that that is definitely a go-to strikeout pitch for Shane Bieber. So those are really my thoughts on the game. I mean, those are the big storylines of the game. Uh, Eli Morgan comes in. is very. In fact, the whole Guardians bullpen is very effective. Uh, Morgan goes an inning and a third, uh, a walk but two strikeouts, Brian Shaw comes in, does give up a walk, but also gets a strikeout. So Shaw actually handles the ninth inning well. I was thinking it. I don't know if you were thinking it, but when Shaw came into the game, I was like, oh my God, not in Colorado, right? He left Cleveland and signed the big contract with Colorado. It got destroyed up there in the mountains, in the Mile High City. He got destroyed out there. And basically, had to come crawling back on a minor league deal, was lucky to catch on with Cleveland. And uh, and now he's back in Colorado, and you're going to use him in the ninth inning of a tie game? Are you out of your freaking mind, Terry Francona? Well, it works out. That's Brian Shaw. Every time Brian Shaw comes into the game, I'm pretty sure every Guardians fan goes, are you out of your mind using Shaw in this situation? Oh, never mind. He got out of it. So yeah, so Shaw handles the ninth inning, surprisingly, and then Classe just incredible in the... By the way, only eight pitches to get out of that 10th inning, right? Just incredible stuff. And Classe, the thing about him is the ground balls. And uh, his ground ball percentage, going over to Fangraphs really quick, looking at the reliever leaderboards for Major League Baseball, uh, his ground ball percentage is 58.3% which is pretty good. It's not tops in baseball as far as relievers go. However, his ground ball to fly ball ratio is near the top. For some reason, Clay Holmes uh, for the Yankees is just a ground ball machine. He's at an 84.3% ground ball percentage. And uh, it's not like this is the small sample size either. He's at a 9.83 ground ball to fly ball ratio. So huge outlier. 
Huge outlier. That's like when they say Jim Brown was the greatest football player of all time, and then we can talk about everybody else, right? It's just he was so good. It was just this huge outlier to the conversation. That's kind of what Clay Holmes is when it comes to getting ground balls as far as relief pitchers go. Then is Luis Garcia for San Diego. Uh, Neil Poliente for St. Louis. We don't we don't pay attention to these teams very often, so I'm not positive about that name. And then Emmanuel Classe fourth for the Cleveland Guardians uh, at 3.5 ground balls to fly ball ratio. Uh, Palienta was at 3.64. Uh, Palenta, Palenta, and uh, Garcia was at 410. So, yeah, right up there with the best. By the way, Sam Henches is sixth at 3.11. So, right up there with the best in baseball as far as getting ground balls uh, as a reliever. And, yeah, we see it night after night. It is strikeout or ground ball from uh, Emmanuel Classe. And on this night, it's all ground balls. So, uh, MVP for the day Oh my God, how do I even decide between Jose Ramirez and Emmanuel Classe on this day? I mean, Bieber, Bieber pitch is effective, but he does give up the big home run late to tie the game with that 3-1 lead. Um, in fact, those at-bats were interesting. The two RBI at-bats that uh, Bieber gives up. Before I name my MVP for the day, I'm going to keep you hanging on just a minute longer. CJ Crone hits that triple off him. Uh, earlier um, in the game. And it was a situation where he was just trying to stay outside on CJ Crone. And so Crone decides, fine, I'll, I'll shoot a ball. Not kind of the opposite way. He hits it to center field. Um, but he definitely had a feel for the location that Bieber was working. He starts him off with a slider outside that he misses for ball one. Then he throws a fastball on the outside edge that's a called strike. And then throws him a slider in pretty much the same same position as that four-seam fastball. So he shows him a pitch where he's seen the spin, he's seen the location, he knows he's being pitched outside, and he's able to drive that ball into center field. So that's how Crone ends up with his RBI triple. And then uh, the home run that Bieber gives up to Blackman, uh, he shows him the curveball, and this one's interesting here. He starts him off with a fastball away that he, or slider, I'm sorry, he starts him off with a slider away that he swings through for a strike, then throws a knuckle curve in the dirt that comes in on him, then tries to go back away with a knuckle curve. Maybe this is just a thing where he hangs a curveball. Maybe this is a situation where he's thrown him three off-speed pitches in a row and maybe needed to mix in a fastball into this at-bat just to change speeds a little bit on Blackman, even though Blackman definitely will swing and miss uh, on a breaking ball. Um, You know, you can get him. It's interesting that his whiff rate on breaking balls this season is 26%, uh, but his put-away percentage is only 14.5. So he'll whiff, but you just can't put him away with it. Um, But he gets the home run there on the uh, knuckle curve. So maybe a fastball mixed into that at-bat would have saved Bieber from giving up that home run, but we'll never know. That's just revisionist history. That's just me looking at the pitch chart afterwards and going, okay, how did Blackman lock into this pitch, right? That's what I look at when I look at these things, right? When I'm looking at an at-bat where a guy gave up a home run, okay, 
what, you know, how was he set up? How was this hitter set up that they were so locked into that pitch that they absolutely barreled it up and smoked it? I mean, 105 mile per hour exit velocity, 437, a 1,000 expected batting average. So, yeah, he smoked that one. Uh, and so maybe it was just he was sitting on that breaking ball. He was just sitting breaking ball the whole at-bat. Um, so, yeah, so back to the conversation we were having. MVP for the day. All right, look, it's a tie. I got to give it a tie. I mean, Jose Ramirez has won so many of these. I'm sure his mantle is overflowing with MVPs on the day. But when you when you contribute to all four runs for your team in a 4-3 win, how could you not be part of the conversation? But what Klaassen is able to do in the 10th inning, get those ground balls, get out of a situation where not only is he put at a disadvantage with the runner starting at second, but he's put at a disadvantage from Jimenez not being able to handle that line drive at his feet, that one hopper cleanly. So he's just a double whammy in that 10th inning, and Klaassen is still able to get out of that thing. So it's a co-MVP on the day for Jose Ramirez and Emmanuel Klaassen. Hey, just a fun thought exercise uh, before we wrap this thing up. Uh, one of the things on that ESPN Baseball Tonight podcast is they played some of the audio from Sunday Night Baseball where uh, Mike Trout was mic'd up for the whole game. And Trout ended up, you know, at first they weren't sure what they were going to get from him, and he ended up loving it. Like, he talked in so much detail with them. And, and he was DHing that nice. He was able to carry on some conversations. And it kind of made me think, who would you want to hear if the Guardians were playing on Sunday Night Baseball? I don't think they have anything scheduled. There's a TBD time with Seattle late in the season on a Sunday. But other than that, uh, we don't have anything scheduled for Sunday Night Baseball. But if we did, if we did, who would you want to be mic'd up for the game? Who would you want to hear throughout the game in a conversation uh, with the, you know, the broadcast booth throughout the game? My guess is pitchers and catchers are disqualified from this conversation. Uh, you know, there's too much going on between them to really carry on a conversation. So uh, as much as I would love, you know, Hedges obviously would be entertaining. I would probably love to hear what McKenzie says throughout a game. But my guess is if they're pitching or catching, there's there's too much going on with the hitter and the umpire standing right there. They're, they're not going to mic those guys up. So you're probably looking at the eight position players spread out across the field. I mean, Jose Ramirez would be fantastic. Uh, I don't know how much, uh, you know, the language barrier between English and Spanish would be. I mean, could they put a translator in the booth and literally have a conversation through the translator and, and make it work. Cause I would just love to hear what Jose Ramirez thinks throughout the game, especially when he's taking extra bases and doing all the aggressive things that he does. Um, yeah. So there's a few guys on the team um, who the language barrier might be an issue for. Uh, Quan seems like he's very personable. It'd be interesting to hear the young guy's perspective on everything going on. Uh, so yeah, so that's kind of my, uh, it's kind of where I was leaning uh, with this little thought exercise of who I'd kind of want to be mic'd up for a game, who would be interesting to hear what's going on throughout the game. I think Ramirez is obviously uh, would be the most interesting if you can make it work uh, for us, you know, English speakers, obviously. Uh, if this were the Spanish language broadcast, then it would be very interesting. It'd be very cool. Um, so, yeah, so... Uh, it's a shame, you know, it's a shame that, you know, communication sometimes, uh, it's, it's insanity that, uh, 
you know, it's so we we live in the same communities and we're we're there at the ballpark and we just don't speak the same language. I I don't know. It's interesting to me that Jose Ramirez is such a leader, and I know he has a relationship with players on the team that aren't um, that aren't Spanish native Spanish speakers. So I I'm very curious what life is like in the dugout and in the locker room and on the buses and the planes like. What gets spoken more? Do the English, you know, the English native speakers learn a lot of Spanish to communicate? Do the Spanish speakers learn enough English to be able to communicate with their teammates? I've always been very curious what the chemistry was like in the clubhouse and how that works. So, I don't know. Let me know. I might tweet this out. And then, you know, you can tweet back at me and let me know who you think would be really cool to have mic'd up throughout an entire game and have a conversation like that. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Colorado. Tonight, it was the Guardians 4, the Rockies 3. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Another 840 start here in the Eastern time. And it's going to be Pilkington going up against Gomber for the Rockies. Uh, He's 3-6 with a 617 ERA. And then you pitch in Colorado, you're going to probably carry a big ERA no matter what your record is. Um, So, yeah, so we'll see how Pilkington does continuing to get starts. It is a left-handed pitcher for Colorado. Once again, we will say, Terry Francona, can you please start Andres Jimenez against a left-handed pitcher? Please, not Naylor. That's the wrong platoon. That's the wrong splits there. Look at Look at the data, please. Please start him against a left-handed pitcher. We want to see it. We want to see Jimenez out there every day. All right, uh, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly.